0: at all no you you officially can take my podcast virginity go
1: for it (laughs) you are the second one um to the first episode of the new season of A More Than a Pretty Face. Today I am so, so jazzed to be talking with the incredible Rosie Day. Rosie is a actress, writer, and director. Um, so Rosie, do you want to tell the folks who you are? I mean, I just did like a little something, but you know, you can be the real something.
0: <laughs> what a question. Who am I? Um, I am um, I'm uh, an actor originally um, from uh, London, England. Um, I was a child actor, so I grew up doing kind of telly and film all throughout my my childhood years. And then recently I have moved into kind of writing um, like TV and films and a book. And I've just sort of slowly started kind of getting into directing as well. I'm essentially like a Greta girl Gerwig wannabe is probably a good way to... To, to describe me, I think.
1: I mean, that's not a bad thing to be.
0: I, f- I feel like it's not. I spend a lot of spare of sp- a lot of my spare time watching YouTube videos of Greta Gowick just being cool. And I'm like, I wish I could be you.
1: I wish I could be that cool. Thank you so much. But <laughs> I...
0: am honestly cool, just without even trying. And you're like, wow, that's something.
1: But I wish I could be as cool as you. I, like... You know, like in researching for this, I was like, "Wait, so she's only one year younger than me, <laughs> and like living her fullest life." Okay. So
0: I'm just- <laughs> glad you think that. I live with five cats, and uh, that sounds father, like a dream. I don't. <laughs> I feel like I, in terms of living my best life, this probably wasn't what I expected, but um, to be surrounded by cats 24/7. Uh, trying to do my work. And, yeah, so that's that's really
1: sweet of you to say. <laughs> no, I mean, you're you're writing a book, which also, friends, let's also, like, back up. Number one, this girl's, like, writing a book. It's coming out in October. But let's also talk about the fact that this book is based off of a one-woman play that you wrote. It is. Don't it try is. to act humble about this situation.
0: I, I, I... I like lots of things in my life kind of how I found acting as well it was like a total accident um I got dared to write a play by a director that I was working with at the time and uh she was like go and write me a one-girl play because I was like there's lots of one-woman shows but there aren't like many one-girl plays for teenage girls so I wrote this thing and I didn't expect it to ever get on I wrote it in my bedroom and 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 kind of we we did like a preview run last year and it's going back mm. on it again in London at the end of the year and through that we sort of ended up working with WME on on a on a book um, yeah. which is lovely but it, it definitely wasn't necessarily on the on on the agenda for for life um that wasn't um, on your bingo card yeah it's kind of like just thrown a wild card not because it was the pandemic um so obviously we could we couldn't really actors can work really for about eight months um it kind of just was a perfect time to create a a, a book, I guess.
1: So what, so, okay, I want to start at the beginning, kind of, like, what made you pick this topic for the book? Because it's, well, for the play, and then bring that into a book. Because the the play is really about just, like, transversing between, like, teenagehood and what that looks like. So, like, what made you, you know, want to pick that topic? I
0: think... It started kind of two ways. The first is I'm I'm an actor that's always played down. I've kind of played sixteen for about ten years now, and um, and the writing, to be honest, isn't usually great for teenage girls. It's often written by old white men that have never been a teenage girl, and um, and especially in theatre, like teenage girls are never if they're the if they're a big part, they're often a supporting role. The story doesn't revolve around them, um, and so I really wanted to put something on stage that kind of depicted realistically what it's like to be a teenage girl and kind of hand back the microphone to them and go, this is our experience and I'm going to be, like, it's, she's going to be the lead character, this kind of um, sarcastic, witty, moody teenager. Um, and and then in kind of conjunction, I work for a teenage mental health charity. I'm an ambassador of a charity called STEM4. Um, so we go into school. So we do a lot of work with kind of like 13 to 16 year olds talking to them about teenage mental health. And I've kind of seen... Uh, how how bad things have got over the past few years for teenagers. I don't think it's ever been more difficult to be a teenager than it has right now. And there was a statistic that was, and it was in the UK and America. The two studies done, and it's one in four teenage girls self harm. Now, in my head, that's a quarter, right? So if it was a quarter of any other age group, I feel like it'd be taken more seriously. Like a quarter of anything mm. is quite a big number. Yeah, um, it's half of a half. I'm not good at maths, but it's you know a quarter <laughs> of a cake is quite a big bit of a cake. Um, so. I So I was like, gosh, like no one's taking this this seriously that our teenage girls have like horrifically low self-esteem and opinions of themselves that, you know, that this is happening. And, and so I kind of wanted to write something that empowered teenage girls. And that was the same with the book. The book is essentially a guide to survive and thrive in your teenage years and kind of everything that I wish I saw for you. Um, when I was a teenage girl because it it is really hard and I think we're so often overlooked and uh, kind of you know not listened to um, when actually teenage girls are amazing like when you see what you know what they're capable of.
1: I agree because I think often when you see like movies, TV shows that focus around teenagers it's very much like oh I like this person and I you know I want to date them and it's like it's very not I don't want to say like love is trivial because it's not because obviously it's like very impactful in life but it, I think it it's always boiled down to that as if that's like the only thing that teenagers think about and when we are teenagers we know that's not true but then somehow we get older and we like forget all that other stuff that we thought about when we were younger so I think it's really cool to like kind of shine that light on it but the but the book isn't going to be like a like a a copy and paste of the play
0: no it's a totally different thing I mean the only thing really that connects it is that it's under the it has the same title instructions for a teenage Armageddon um this is like nonfiction, um so very much kind of um we've got some amazing contributors writing essays to their teenage selves and it kind of has all different Different things we've thrown at it, like top tips for surviving certain situations and, and kick-ass profiles of amazing women and um, and, and kind of like, yeah, tried to make it as kind of um, broad as we could, of like everything we think teenage girls should probably um, know about really. But you're so right about that love thing. I did, I was on a, a TV series and we got to the second series and all my storylines were revolving around. i just dumped one boyfriend and then I was looking at somebody else and I actually went to the exec of the channel and said can can we write something else because <laughs> I don't want to act this Like, um, and they ended up giving my storyline to another girl um, and I ended up doing something in journalism I think they wrote me but I was like this, you're, it's so wrong for us to just assume that all girls care about love because actually I didn't have my first boyfriend until I was 21 like I, I had no interest in that actually as a teenage girl um, so I yeah, agree. So I,
1: to them. I've never, I've never been boy crazy. I liked the same guy for like six years. Like I didn't. Like I've never. And even now, the way my parents talk about me getting married or having kids, is like they have stock in the industry and they need to make the returns. And I'm like, nice, guys, <laughs> I have things to do. I'm making podcasts, guy. <laughs> like,
0: I, I got priorities. <laughs> but yeah also I I think I think our generation we don't feel the need to necessarily attach ourselves to somebody do you know I mean like we're happy living our lives I think as women we also like you know put work first now which is really great like you know we have our own ambitions and we're achieving things and doing things and it doesn't revolve around having settling down and having kids and you know all that stuff not yet anyway
1: not yet yeah I think there's like there's a time and a place for it but I think like this idea that you need some type of significant other to make you happy is kind of like a fleeting thing for a lot of us. Or we're seeing that there's other things that can make you happy as well, versus like just having a husband or some other type of partner um, in in your life. And I like I want yeah like you can hang out with yourself and, yeah. and
0: find happiness in that as well.
1: Yeah, I wish, I want, like, I I was watching TikTok where I spend so much of my time, and it was, like, talking about, (laughs) it's so addictive, um, it was, (laughs) are we too (laughs) old for it, no, okay, here's, here's, here's my thing, yeah, nobody remembers Vine, and that is what annoyed me about the situation, right with tiktok i was like you realize this is just vine like i just need everyone to come to that
0: there the... genuine question what happened to vine
1: it died out like it just di- i feel like we had it when i was in college like in like 20 what 2013 and then like it went nowhere
0: and <laughs> <It really disappeared. laughs> then
1: <But> it disappeared and <laughs> it but, like, essentially, TikTok is Vine. I just yeah. didn't, I, so I didn't think it was going to be, because I wasn't, like, a huge Vine person. I never got Vine. Like, I didn't, but it's very different than Vine. I mean, it's, it's the same, but it's different. You know what I'm saying. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I was watching, I was watching um, someone's TikTok, and I was talking about, like, I want that coming-of-age story for people, like, in their 20s, you know, or in, like, I was like, thank you. That's what I want, because I feel like all the experiences that they, like, put in these teenage shows, I, like, have in my 20s. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I feel like I'm doing. So, I want, I want that, like.
0: And we need, we need to be celebrated, too. Yes, (laughs) because we're
1: slowly dying. So, literally. (laughs) And also, like, like that. that whole
0: idea that you your coming of age happens before you go to college and that you have to have had all these experiences and tick those boxes and and then you're in your adult life and that's it you've got life sorted by the time you get to 21 um which is so not the case in any way shape or
1: the idea that i would have an apartment on my own (laughs) or a job that pays well like all of these things (laughs) are not true
0: it's just society setting up us up to fail isn't it being like you need this by 30 a family a job a house and you're like okay in the 50s maybe but like do you know how expensive property is now like
1: these are ex- yes. outside is expensive outside has gotten more expensive since the pandemic i was like oh so it's do a, we have to go back outside
0: what I I, on my tiktok browser the day they showed somebody was showing i really love like real estate i just find it really like sexy to look at and it was somebody um who was queuing to see a two-bed new york apartment and like the queue was down the block like the people just trying to see this one apartment i was like wow it's vicious out there guys
1: it couldn't be me like (laughs) i because i have i have friends like i have So I used to live in D.C., and D.C. is, like, very different than, I feel like, everywhere else, because in D.C. you will find a bunch of, quote-unquote, older people, and by that I mean 30, who are single, not married, um, but, like, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's, like, all of us, so it's not weird, versus I feel like you come back home and it's it's a little off, but they, like, friends, like, who are, like, wanting to buy houses and, like, you know have family, I was like, buy a house where? Like, I have one, I have one couple friend, they're about to have a baby, and they were like, so we just kind of figured that we will be renting for the rest for the of rest our of lives. Us. Yeah. Not that they don't, like, have good jobs, because they do. Yeah. They just know that realistically, <laughs> they okay. will never be able to also, afford.
0: I was talking to my friend yesterday, we both said, like, I don't know what it is about the idea of buying property, but, like, maybe it's to our generation it seems so permanent what do you do how do you sell it how do you get rid of it if you want to move somewhere else
1: that's the thing and I feel like you have to in a way be like weirdly transient because of jobs and stuff and like being able to make money or moving closer to especially jobs if you're
0: in that sort of like freelance creative profession like you you have to be so flexible
1: yes my parents are very like old school Jamaican immigrants. And so, like, they're, like, my dad's, like, dream for me is to have, like, a one-bedroom apartment with, like, a dog or, like, a cat. Like, that's, like,
0: his... When you were younger, did they have any, like, uh, ideas of what they wanted you to be? Like, like... No,
1: not They just always wanted me to have, like, a super stable career. Like, something that is just, like, very has it a pension <laughs> yeah and like which is fair because I too want to be paid um I paid a lot of money for school so <laughs> but I've also resigned myself my those student loans are never getting paid like you <laughs>
0: know right it's not it's not real yeah no it's, it's not fine
1: real. I will pay the bare minimum and keep pushing um but like I they always just wanted me to have something super stable and I do I but I think I define stability a lot differently than they do yeah. And so if I'm, like, happy, continuously doing the job that I want to do, then that to me is stable versus, like,
0: yeah.
1: I don't know, sitting at a desk. I, I, I don't like sitting behind a desk all the time, and that's kind of it for I, me. I, I have
0: never done it, but I can't think of anything uh more uncomfortable for me as a person than having to kind of just sit at the same desk every day for however many hours that you're meant to do it.
1: I, I, I think I would, I think I would definitely struggle and probably get fired. It's, it's really hard. Like, granted, so I work in news, and so it's a little, it's a little different because you are like working with a lot of different people, and I'm moving all the time to like. Get things done, get people it's on exciting, television.
0: Right, being in news yeah, right. well,
1: you know it has its moments. Because um, <laughs> for for me right now, I work in broadcast, but I like I'm a writer, so yeah. for me, writing is is my is my bread and butter. So I'd rather be like in the field getting stories or like interviewing people, like I'm doing with you, Um yeah. Than like getting correspondence on TV, which is still really fun because I get to work with like some of the most incredible correspondents and people who are just also very funny um just yeah. texting them about news is very funny to me <laughs> um, really? but but yeah so it's different why am I talking about me this is about you <laughs> interesting. I've never
0: met anybody that works in news it's really oh
1: gosh um we're tired a lot of the time
0: I bet. do you have to what is your working hours like not like do you have normal working hours or do you have to like sometimes go through like the night
1: oh no yeah I don't have normal so like I work three to midnight 5 to 3, 12 to 8, um, depending on the day, rare occasions I've done 9 to 5, to 7, to 8. And is it
0: really important if there's like, a, like, say, like an election or like something really big happening?
1: Yeah, oh my gosh, the past like two years have been insane, we could never count on anything, everybody was like always on call, I feel like. Um <laughs> Cause you know, you just never knew what like Trump was gonna say. You never knew what something was gonna yeah. happen in the Pentagon. You never knew like, and so all of that, we just constantly had to be on call. Our White House team was so like everybody was just kind of.
0: It's so interesting because American like news is it. it's only something that in politics and politics I've kind of got interested in interested in I guess over the past few years. But I was I was working on an American movie with four amazing American young actors when trump got elected the day trump got elected and we couldn't shoot for like the morning because everybody was crying
1: like it oh was- yeah just- it was crazy I was,
0: the- I was the only british person so i was like to me like i don't really think about my prime minister like I- at that time i was like is it really that bad and then I- they were like you have no idea and i was like ah right yes is it but- still so- it- was, was it boris was-
1: then or i should boris know this
0: Boris is in now and essentially is saying he can't be bothered to be prime minister anymore which is hilarious. I
1: mean same. You know like who wants to run a country? It who seems like really want
0: to, for... to do it. <laughs> we have this TV we have this satirical TV quiz show called Have I Got News For You that's mm-hmm. on BBC and my first memory of Boris Johnson is him being like on that show and my rule is like generally anybody that's been on like a quiz show probably shouldn't be prime minister. That's just like my general view of it. <laughs> I don't uh... Don't think they're quite the right person for the job.
1: But yeah. you guys, because I I feel like any time like when I've been there, it's always the Queen. Like I could never tell you who the Prime Minister is, but people love the Queen.
0: That's. I mean, the... she's a baby She's our longest. I mean, look, it's very divisive, especially amongst young people. Like a lot of my friends are really anti the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I love the Queen because <laughs> I don't know what I think about you know the royal family in general, but the Queen. It's like the longest reigning monarch who has like done her duty for I think over seventy years and and you know I just like what a woman I've seen a lot and she's always been there and
1: lit, I mean it's been she's the cute. same she is cute she's so cute like little yeah, <laughs> monarch
0: ever like what oh, so like regardless what you think of the, you know the young monarchy. Um, though I was always madly in love with Prince Harry um,
1: I, weren't I, I we all though a little bit
0: I I met Prince Harry at a polo match and I was I've always looked I guess young to my age but I, this was when I was probably about 18 19 and I looked about 14 and um, I went and spoke to him and he was so lovely but he spoke to me like he was speaking <laughs> to her uh, like a small child He, like, I think he even bent down a bit no um, <laughs> he was so nice and I was like oh you just, he thinks I'm a, He thinks I'm. I'm 14, but um, he was really nice.
1: You could have casually just like flashed your ID. After. Hey, hey Eric,
0: want a drink? <laughs> yeah, just like just a little bit. It's like <laughs> you missed your
1: shot because he wasn't married then. Is what I'm saying.
0: He wasn't married then. No, he wasn't. Yeah, you
1: sometimes. could have had your moment. You could have had your moment, and you blew it. And I'm sad for all of us. <laughs>
0: And I could have been in LA with, <laughs> with my own foundation and yes. uh, a deal with Netflix, but alas alas
1: just a, <laughs> just a working actress, you know, the per usual
0: <laughs> I like Megan I like Megan at the beginning of all of
1: this mm-hmm. yeah. I mean so like, anyway back to the topics at hand um, so Armageddon Armageddon <laughs> oh <laughs> <take him> Armageddon <laughs> oh
0: um can I ask one more question on this what is yours and like your friend's view of Megan Markle I'm just really interested because I only speak to British people
1: oh true this is true you are um in the land of British people um it's so interesting because it's there's like one section who are like why do we still care about the royals and then there's like another section You know, of people that are, like, which I'm very down. I'm very, like, I love having a black princess. Like, I love love the idea that we got one in there. We snuck her in from the years (laughs) of inbreeding. I'm so glad we, like, got her in there. Um, But so, like, for me, I think it's, I think the, I think royalty is, like, cool in novelty. But it's never something I took seriously. Like, like, you're saying, like, the queen, she's so cute. You know, like, it's not something, yeah. it's something I learned about in school because I, I studied history and global history. And I know the impacts of monarchies and regimes and stuff and how problematic they can be. So, like, for me, I was, like, the real, like monarchies, like, probably don't have a good place in society in general. Right. Yeah. But, um, so it wasn't necessarily, like, I cared about the royal family. I don't know how, like, it wasn't, like, on my viewpoint... But having a black princess is very, very cool. Um, and just, like, amazing. It, it's amazing. And to be able to see that and, like, and I think it, I think we often forget or people like to often forget that, like, racism exists everywhere and, like.
0: Everywhere, including in the royal family. In the UK, yeah. It's, it's,
1: like, it's something, yeah, it's just something that we often forget, which I didn't really forget because, like, I have family in England and so, like, who are also Jamaican immigrants. So, like, I never get to forget that I'm black. So, for so for me, like, nothing, I think nothing about, like, all the stuff that's come out, like, surprises me. Yeah. Um, I think to hear, like, some of the things that were more blatantly said was, like, really interesting. So, like, it's cool that there's, like, a black princess. It's cool that. Harry, was kind of like screw it all. I kind of love my wife, and I'm like, that's dope. Um, I love that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna essentially
0: get us out of this.
1: Yeah, I'm like, which I'm like, that's how it should be. I feel like, I yes. feel like, you know, when you talk about like, what is it like to really stand up for your partner or whatever, it's like that's that's what you do. That's like, okay. if you have the ability to did do you it, you do the it.
0: Oprah did I did watch, watch the Oprah
1: interview? interview? I watched
0: the interview. but I also love that, that you know she was like you know because she was saying. How she was stuck in she didn't leave the house you know for a month and she was like I couldn't just order an uber to the palace and it's like so you know yeah, like this it, it, it's so true and I found that interview so so insightful and like heartbreaking and our press over here were horrific to her it's, like the, how they could like the articles that were done on the same subjects that they did with Kate and Megan and how they treated them and the difference it was it was like it was utterly appalling. and no wonder like I was like no wonder this poor woman left and was like this is this is not good for me or my mental health
1: you know I feel like I feel like what was most interesting was the fact that like like she's like I didn't know a lot of the stuff that was being said she yes. was like, because you're so locked away, you don't really have access to anything. So she's like, I didn't really know anything was being said. I didn't know about um, Prince, uh, oh my gosh, what's her son's name? I can't remember. Archie. Archie. She's like, I didn't know about his title, him not getting a yeah. title. She's like, we didn't ask for that to be taken away. I, I didn't know. Like all of the stuff that like she didn't get to know simply because she was locked away. And it's like mm-hmm. I think when we think about you know celebrity or royalty, we think like they have all this freedom, but there are many cases where they may not have this freedom, and, and especially she, like not. her
0: voice was taken away. But I mean, she could never respond to anything that was printed about her, and I can't. I can only imagine the relief she probably felt trying once she'd done the Oprah interview of being able to finally be like, "Well, this is my side of the story." Like,
1: and she still has her <laughs> composure because. I feel like I would have been naming names. I would have been dropping drops.
0: <laughs> and also she was really funny. She met, like the interview a couple of times. She really made me laugh. And I was like, when she was talking about the avocado toast, she was like, that's a loaded bit of toast. <laughs> and I was like, She just, yeah, I just, I was so pleased that she, you know, they got to, you know, they got to have their, their side of the story. There's nothing worse right. than going back to mental health. And, and nothing will ruin your mental health more. I don't think than feeling like you can't speak about,
1: feeling mm-hmm.
0: would um, be that because you're worried about how they're going to be received or you're simply not allowed like there's nothing worse than feeling stifled
1: is that why you break because I I know you're part you are an ambassador for a mental health organization that deals directly with teenagers can you tell me a little bit more about that
0: so they are an incredible charity they're very um they're very unique in, in what they do where they they work to um help but also to prevent mental health illnesses um and educate young people um and so we do conferences where we talk to uh children uh, gps doctors um and parents and schools and um essentially educate them all on on mental health for, for teenagers and um we also have like apps with the first mental health charity that has apps where you can manage your anxiety and depression and your urges to self harm, and you can get help through these really cool apps um, that are totally free to download. Um, and the work they do, you kind of sit in a session, like a conference, and and you see these kids respond to it. Like quite often, we will, you know we'll do a say twelve to thirteen year old conference with with maybe like three hundred kids, and there'll always be kind of two or three kids that get really upset and sometimes have to be taken out because they are processing what they have been experiencing and they've been they've been told that it's okay and that it's normal and that what you're feeling is you know that there's help and there are all these ways to kind of manage it and, and these kids kind of it's the first time they've heard it um and and it's a really incredible a really incredible charity um that is just dedicated to teenagers um which is why it kind of it's so it's so unique and I think right now I mean teenage mental health statistics are so kind of bad and I think the pandemic's only made it worse but um, that their work is is so needed. So I'm I'm super proud to be an ambassador, and that is kind of um, the book is in in conjunction with Stem Four. Some of the profits of the book are going um, are going to them, and, and really some of our contributors donated their fees to Stem Four, and mm. um, so that's it's it's been really kind of a cool cool to have them involved in this as well.
1: How did you get involved with them?
0: It was really weird. Um, I think by Twitter. Like lots of weird relationships I have. It's on Twitter. Um, there's an amazing British actress uh, called Georgina um, Campbell, and she was an ambassador. And I knew her, and she would often tweet about them. And I don't know whether who followed who first, but we got messaging on the on on the Twitter This was about seven or eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I kind of you know said, oh, I love what you're doing. I grew up in a household where one of my siblings had uh, quite severe mental health issues, um, so i said i'd love to work with you especially i work in the realm of what it's like to be a sibling of or be in a family when somebody has mental health issues and, and and how that can affect the whole family and the siblings and um so i speak especially when we do parent conferences i speak about you know what it's like to be i guess the other kid mm, um, mm-hmm. you know, what, um what it's like watching from the of. It, it unfold and, and yeah, and they, you know, very kindly asked whether I'd be an ambassador, and I've done it for about seven, or eight years now, so it's been, it's been wonderful.
1: What, what? So, what else does like being an ambassador entail for you? Um,
0: it's really so. It's going to talk at these conferences. Um, <laughs> it's like doing stuff for their social media, like when they have campaigns and videos. Um, it's going to events when they have events. Uh, it's raising money when they're kind of actively raising money. So I did, one of the proudest things I did was the CIBC, which I think is a Canadian bank. It's like a big Canadian bank mm-hmm. think, in London. And every year they give quite a large amount of money to, I think, uh, two or three charities. And you have to pitch. So you have to go through the round. Oh, there's so many charities supply. And you have to go through the rounds of Stem got to like the final, like, I think it was like the last five for it. And mm. they asked whether I'd go into like the final um like pitch meeting and I got to go into this boardroom in this like massive tall building in London and it was like pretty much all men in suits sat around like maybe 15 of them and like mm-hmm. little me was there and I had to be like why why should we give sense for the money said so- and like i don't know i can't remember for the life of what i said but i definitely banged my hand on the like boardroom table at one point i was like i'm really sick of opening the paper every day and seeing that another teenager's taken their life because they've not been able to get the support that they need and i did lots of finger pointing and um and for got awarded the the, the, the money <laughs> so that's that's um i don't know what i said but that's definitely like the like one of my really proud things i think i've done with them um, was. and also like the men that you know lots of them had had you know teenagers and mm-hmm. you were kind of and it was something that they were very interested in because I think if you've got teenagers right now parents you know want to know what to do and how and how to help.
1: I think that is a big thing especially talking about being like a sibling or a family member or someone with mental illness because I think unless you're in it you don't fully understand it like unless you have mental illness you don't fully understand what it's what those emotions are like that or that feeling is like in your body and so to mm-hmm. be someone on the outside you're kind of I guess always trying to fix it and not knowing yeah. how to really like deal fix. with it
0: yeah in our house there was a lot of a lot of people trying to fix the problem and that's not that's not how it necessarily works for people to, to to heal or you know it, it, it was a lot of um yeah, it does a lot. I think also to my parents' relationship, it did a, it really put that under the under under the test, you know. And so you kind of grow up in a in a household where there was a lot of arguments. I guess it went from I went I had a very nice probably from about like birth to ten, nine or ten. It was like a really happy household, mm-hmm. and then it, and then it kind of turned into one which was quite fraught. And um, I kind of always say to to parents if if you have you no know, other children got to like explain what's going on to them yeah I was very young and I would just hear things like I would like listen over the banister and I put my literally put my ear to doors to try and figure out and I was piecing together this jigsaw of trying to figure out what was wrong with my sibling um and and that's really scary because you don't you don't know you don't you know you
1: You don't know know. know. (laughs) that
0: uh that are sometimes probably wrong or you know I had one conclusion one day where I was convinced my sister was literally about to drop down dead. Like, that's where my brain had gone. Um, because you're young and, and this people explain it to you. Especially back then, mental health wasn't even ever discussed. You know, mental. I feel
1: like mental health just became mainstream. Like, the yes. other day. Literally.
0: Literally. And I'm so glad that it has now. I'm yes. so glad we're going, you have physical health and you have mental health. They are both as important as each other. You know, if you break your leg, you're not just expected to limp around on it. Like that's you know, the, that, that, and that
1: was always the thing—the idea that, like, you know, depression or anxiety is just about being a little sad or just a little nervous. And it's like, no, it's so much more than that. As someone who takes medication every day, like, exactly. it's it's so much more than that. And I think um, talking about that and bringing awareness to that, and I think also understanding that it can look different. For a lot of different people. Because I think, you know, I at least how I was told when I was younger, it was, it's like, oh, you're in your bed for days and you're not, you know, like, you're not talking to anybody. But, like, being a perfectionist can be a form of anxiety disorder because, like, you're so concerned about being perfect that it stops you from doing things until you can do it perfectly and you're so just, like, on edge the entire time. So I think it's really cool to talk about that with, with teenagers, because I think that's when we form a lot of like our coping abilities and our abilities to kind of um, go through whatever scenario is going through and how we're going to handle that for future use, because as you get older, it becomes so much more difficult to unlearn those behaviors. That's
0: what, what I realized in the process of doing the book was that I had put together like this jigsaw puzzle, I guess, of my opinion of myself. And I had come to this realisation very recently within like the past month or so that maybe my opinion of myself was completely wrong and that mm. I'm not an awful person. Everyone doesn't hate me. Um, I'm not annoying. People aren't talking behind my back 24-7. And I realised I'd had to put this jigsaw piece pieces together of every time someone had done something bad or said something negative to me or, you know, walked out of my life and I'd taken these jigsaw pieces and like put them in my soul as like important things that define you um rather than you know re- realizing that that's not the case at all and that you know how people treat you has actually got very little to do with you often mm-hmm. um, and and I built this completely wrong puzzle of myself and I realized that was because of growing up as a teenager and the experiences that I had and and the things that I didn't know and that I was never taught and that had I had maybe support in in some way and answers to my questions I might not i've got to my mid-20s and have this warped opinion of, of, of who i am um so i'm hoping if we get to teenage girls you know the book's kind of from like 11 up you know yeah. if you get to the young and sort of empower them with these tools that are in this book the whole thing is kind of like staging a rebellion like you know giving you the tools to take on the world you know then hopefully they won't end up like me that's maybe the message don't end up like Rosie no up, you know, don't end up you know don't end up having to you know have a have a low opinion of themselves and to kind of you know you know feel like they can take on the world and and, and anything that it throws at them
1: now do you have like a favorite person that's done a contributing essay or who are you so most excited about I was
0: I don't know if it's reached America yet, but something huge has happened in the UK. Um, An amazing young woman called Summer Sarah has set up Everyone's Invited, which is a website where people report essentially sexual assaults in schools um, and uh, rape culture. You can write your story and it's anonymous and you put it on there. Um, You put it on this website anonymously and it collected all this data from all these uh, schools and organisations of all these people's experiences and um I think as of today they've got like 50,000 posts it's only been going for like I think maybe two months at this point um oh, and yeah. it's really like revolutionized the conversation around rape culture in schools with young people and she's written our essay on consent and it is so powerful and um it's really special and you know it's something that was like the word consent was never ever discussed with me okay. as a teenage girl and that you can say just no not just to things to do with you know sex or relationships but in life in no life, yeah you. you can just say you don't want to do something and that is you don't have to explain it to anybody you just can say it um and and her essay is the one that really i think is so needed right now for everybody um i think in the uk we're sort of having and in the entertainment industry we're having a a uh, a, a long, hard
1: look at how
0: at how we treat women, mm-hmm. um, and and I think, um, yeah, that essay is probably my my special one.
1: How so? I I do want to talk about your career as an actor, and I know you got started. You you were doing like some television spots, but you also worked on the stage. What was like your first acting gig?
0: My first acting gig was a mistake. Uh, that my my sister um, was one of those all-singing, all-dancing children, mm-hmm. uh, and she got cast in a BBC series called uh, called Hope and Glory, and they needed a little sister for her, and they were trying to find a match, and they couldn't find one, and the cast director remembered that my sister had said that, oh, I have a little sister, and um, and the cast director phoned my mum and said, would Rosie do it? And I said no, because I thought acting was stupid. I was like, why would I want to pretend to be someone else? um I was like you know I was like five I was really little and um and somehow mum explained that I got to miss school and that that was it I was <laughs> like I am sold I am there I get to eat cake and I get to miss school um and 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 we got we kept getting cast together which happens quite a lot you know casting real life kind of siblings till I was about 10 and then um, my sister just stopped doing it and I I guess I sort of went solo um but I have very little recollection of of I guess the early jobs because I was really teeny Tiny, tiny, and I see five-year-olds now, and I look at them, and I'm like, "Mum, you were insane. Why was I? Why were you putting? Why was I going to work? <laughs> <laughs> <a> child labour <laughs> we, we don't stuff kids up chimneys anymore, um, but we happily put them on film sets. Um, but no, I, I think I really enjoyed it, but I can't, I can't really remember. Rem- <laughs>
1: Do you have, like, a favourite role that you've played so far that you really enjoyed or you really connected with?
0: I mean, I love theatre, so I think every theatre role that I do always is really special to me and and, and, and it's a whole other medium that is just the most exciting thing. I think I have an adrenaline problem because I just love that, like, the terror of being on stage. (laughs) It's just really kind of thrilling. Um, but probably like role, special roles in my heart are probably like the film I did with Sarah Jessica Parker, where we were in Italy for for four months together, and I got I had pink hair, um, and I grew up loving Avril Lavigne, and my character was like had pink hair and like goth makeup, and mm-hmm. kind of I got to just live like this childhood fantasy um, in Rome while eating pizza and pasta and just having the best the best time, um, and she was so sarcastic and so. So cool. And I was like, I'm not that, but I wish I could be that. <laughs> I wish I,
1: be that cool. <laughs> wish I could be that cool.
0: I wish I could be that cool. I wish you could pink hair every day.
1: You can. I support you dyeing it. I don't know how much <laughs> that affects your job. <laughs> but <laughs> but there. I support it. you guys, pink hair. <laughs> now, I know you've also dived a bit into kind of the um, screenplay writing realm as well and what's that been like for you
0: that it's been really interesting because I kind of started it because I just wanted to tell my own stories really mm-hmm. and 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 it kind of it came I guess quite naturally because I read a lot of scripts which I think probably happens with lots of actors and then it kind of I guess changed into like well would you like to direct them and actually make them a reality and and it's something I'm working on I'm very kind of early in on it we're shooting a, film version of Teenage Armageddon literally at at the moment um and and it's it's really great and weird to kind of see things that you've written have people say them on screen and you're like that came out of my brain um so it's definitely something that I am kind of yeah getting more and more more into and kind of learning from you know I've had it really luckily on on my job as actors I've had lots of lovely directors answer my questions that I throw at them about directing and um kind of a lot of support there so it's something that I think over the next few years I'm definitely going to try and um yeah concentrate on I think.
1: Do you think like that's more so your end goal versus like acting? Do you want to be more behind that?
0: No I think I I love acting it's like my it's the only thing I say in a very weird way that I've only I've only only ever known myself as an actor because I started when I was so little which is a very bizarre Concept and I probably should go to therapy and talk to someone about that. Um, but I, I will always want to act. But mm. I think, I guess, similar like, in that kind of Goic sort of way. Like the moment you get to tell your own stories, you find you have a voice, mm. and that people will watch them and maybe take something from them is 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 really cool. And I think now, especially, we're kind of they're taking like they're, they're you know giving young female directors jobs, which is you know not been the case for so long. Um, and so that that's really exciting, and um, we need more. Do you know I mean, we, we just need more more women yeah. kind of in the entertainment industry.
1: What has been, I guess, kind of the the most difficult part of your career, in in whether it's in acting or writing or directing, what's been the most difficult bit?
0: In all honesty, negotiating relationships with agents and people in power and uh men probably is I, in honestly I find I found you know I think like many actors I've had tons of men do really inappropriate bad things to me over the years mm-hmm. and and for so long we've had to remain silent about it and I think that has been the most difficult thing is probably feeling like you want to fight back and not always being given the opportunity. Um, and, you know, as a kind of fierce feminist, you want to turn around and go, this isn't not on, why, you know, stop. Um, and, or, or wanting to tell people and people not taking you seriously and not believing you. Um, and that, that is definitely, I think, you know, acting is, I love acting. Auditioning can be hard and, you know, sometimes and getting rejected and, you know, there's those, but actually the honest thing, the thing that makes the entertainment industry for women so difficult is men doing horrible things. Yeah. um and to have to i think experience my experience at a very kind of young age in my kind of late teens and early 20s and you're like at least you know but i think the industry is is now <laughs> at least you know that this is happening um but at least but now the industry is is changing like and you can feel it changing and there's so many amazing women who who just aren't taking it anymore and are kind of in power themselves and can make change and so it's a really exciting time um, but I'm very protective. I recently found myself being very protective of younger uh, uh, actresses that I've started working with. So I've got a couple of like 17, 18 year old actresses that I know, and I've just become like so fiercely protective of them because I don't want them to have to go through the stuff that I have. Um, yeah. So that's definitely that's I would say the the most difficult thing um, because um, the entertainment industry is great. I would say like when it's great, it's like the most supportive, amazing family ever. And then when it's bad, it can also be. I think, I guess, like any industry, um, quite a dark place.
1: I I agree with you because in journalism, it can definitely be a boys' club. And right now, you know, there's this whole conversation about diversity and diverse writers, um, uh, not writers' room, sorry, um, di- right. diverse newsrooms and and what does that look like and who are we having on screen and who's telling what stories and, um, and I think like. I try to anybody new that comes in, any like any any ladies that come in to work into into my area into my team. I always try to give them the real skinny. I'm like, all right, listen. This is how you deal with this person. This is how you deal with this person. Say no to this. Speak up to this.
0: Here's
1: a heads up. Here's a heads up. I'm like, it's it's to a point where I'm like, all right, don't text so and so at this hour of day. Like, give them a second. Because they're going to be sassy. But if you get them, they're a lovely person. If you text them after the...
0: Like, I love that. You're the real MVP here.
1: I just, like, I... Because for me, like, I'm... I, I pick up so much on, like, other people's needs and and wants and how they kind of react to things. Like, I I feel like I have very much, like, that energy. Like, I, I'm very much attuned to it. So, anything to make things go smoothly. Because for me, I... I like to think of it, I'm like, guys, we just make TV. We just make TV. We just, no one's dying, no one's giving heart surgery.
0: We're fine.
1: We have all the information that we need. We're literally trained to deal with breaking news. And that's something I think that happens in news so much. There's like this, there's this need to be overly prepared and overly cautious and overly and it causes everybody to be on edge because you're constantly waiting for something to happen and I think it affects the way that we interact with one another and we lose the fun and the and the kikiing and like and for me I just I don't like to work that way like I know there's a time to be serious and I know there's times to get things done and I and I do get things done but that doesn't mean you can't have fun even if it's like always on yeah. my friday emails i'm like happy friday like you know because <laughs> i know because <laughs> i know they i don't get the weekends off but i know they do so i'm just like <laughs> so i'm like let's it and, it's true, and i think
0: i would say that in the pandemic like i totally understand that the arts and entertainment and telly and film has been a great source of escapism and people need it for like morale and that we're turning to art but i did say in the pandemic like you did kind of see how useless we are in terms of, like, literally saving lives, like, the doctors and <laughs> the nurses and the incredible people that kept the world going, Um and I think it did, I think it gave a huge perspective to lots of people, uh, well, I hope it did, it certainly did to me.
1: I hope so, I mean, I think, it, for me, though, like, I love storytelling, and that's, that's what I want to do forever and ever, and I think yeah the ability to communicate story in so many different mediums. Like that's why I love TV and film and pop culture because you get to see yourself or not get to see yourself represented You get to see stories that maybe you didn't know about. And it has such an impact on like shifting culture. Cause if it honestly, I don't think if we didn't have like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and the sixty other thousand streaming services, <laughs> um, and we weren't able to binge. I don't think a lot of people would have made it through. Like,
0: <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> streaming services did get us through the past year and a half.
1: It did. As much as like, I hate having to have so many subscriptions. I'm like, just bring back Blockbuster at this point. I don't. Did you Did you guys have Blockbuster?
0: Blockbuster Saturday nights going to rent my video, my VHS.
1: Guys, just bring it back at this point. At this point just
0: I'm, I. I just take an hour to decide what to watch because I have to go through all of my my subscriptions to pick.
1: I watch the same like six shows. My parents make fun of me. It's so hard for me to start new things or watch it because what are
0: your what are your top
1: ones? Oh my gosh. Um so I watch a lot I'm also an eighty five year old woman. I watch a lot of murder she wrote. Um yeah, I love Angela Lansbury. She is my favorite actress. She's the, she's the best actress of our generation. Once again, I know that saying, the woman is like 95. Um, I, I love Monk. I love Psych. I love Law and Order. I love a lot of like criminal procedural um, oh, right. type of shows. I love almost anything true crime. Um, so it's very difficult and there are, obviously there's a ton of new shows that I like watch all the time. Like I love a bunch of HBO series and things like that and, um, things on Netflix that I love, um, and Hulu, but I just like my comfort, like if it's just a regular day. Yeah. I'm just I watching. People,
0: cause I have anxiety and I read a thing that people with anxiety
1: um, yes
0: rewatch the same shows cause it's comforting.
1: It's comforting. So I it know is- what's going to happen.
0: At this point, I've just watched Modern Family and The Office. I don't know how many times I could probably recite it. At this point,
1: I can recite most of Gilmore Girls. Um, <laughs> I love that show so much. It's like it's my favorite show. I, I,
0: I want to be Rory. I just want to live <laughs> in that world.
1: I watch that show so much. I also read. So there's like a Gilmore Guys podcast that I listen to all the time. Um, and I just, I re-listen to that a lot of times if I don't know what podcast I want to listen to because it's comforting and I know what they're going to talk about and I really love the hosts. Um, so so for me, like things like that, I just kind of did, but those are what gets me, gets me through the difficult
0: times. Right? Exactly. It's needed,
1: guys. But thank you. So, um, to my mother, ha ha ha, um, who makes (laughs) fun of me watching the same five shows. But, um, so what, I-, I guess kind of, what is your advice to people who want to break into entertainment?
0: It's an interesting one. I always joke and say, don't, um, <laughs> no. but I guess I think you really have to want to do it. And I think it has to be, uh, because it, it, it can be in the industry. So I think it's not something to go into lightly, I guess, um because it, it, it can really knock you and your self-esteem. Mm.
1: And
0: what I've learned is that, well, a couple of things, networking is really important, getting people mm-hmm. as a young actor, getting people to kind of know your face, politely networking, um, and getting people to know your work is it, really, really cool and important. Um, so send those emails. Um, but also, like, it can't be your everything. You have mm. to have a life outside of it and you have, your life has lots of colourful, amazing things. So then in your work you can kind of draw from those experiences and sort of, you know, use them. Um and it, it is you have to try and find treat it as a job. I think anything that's kind of freelance can also blend into your life so much, but yeah finding ways to kind of sort of boundaries and structure and, and kind of treat it, treat it as work, um but also make sure that there is lots of other amazing things going on because there are always going to be times where as an actor you're not working and you have to find other things to do in in your time, um, and it's like the long game. It's not, you know, some people get really lucky and get a big break really quickly. It's probably like one percent of the acting <laughs> population. Um, but it, it's a really, you know, that, that that saying of like it's a marathon, not a sprint, is so true. And and you have to take the auditions that we were doing, the auditions are the work, and the the jobs are the fun part. I think um, is kind of generally what I what I think about it about it all.
1: Do you think that has? I mean, I guess has there kind of been times. That you've been like, I'm, I need to do something else. I need to get another skill. Because it just wasn't happening for you? For
0: me, it's been... I've never really had that thought. It's been more of a... Uh, um, how can I... For me, it was much more of a how can I continue in an industry that I know is quite morally corrupt sometimes. I've had moments of... Oh, Rather than being like, I, I know I love to act and I know I'm, I'm good at my job, I do know that. And so I, I never kind of had the doubt that it, it wouldn't work being an actor, I guess, because I, I was incredibly dedicated to it and I, and I loved it wholeheartedly and, and I was very lucky with the work I got mm-hmm. and the auditions I got and the agents that I had and I was very grateful to that. But there was definitely a couple of times, including stuff in this year, where I've been like, can, can I... Shall I just go and do something else, and I will be much happier because morally I will find something that's a lot nicer to do. Sometimes mm, I think mm. um, that's definitely, um, and the same for a couple of uh, of my friends who have kind of considered walking away at, at certain moments because of because of the the negative people or, or, or the bad men <laughs> in the industry. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, but then you're like, why should the women or what you know, why should anybody give up their career when to cover up for a bad person who shouldn't be in this Mm, industry, mm, you You should never have to walk away from what you love because of that, Um, so so yeah, we remain, (laughs) we're still here.
1: Now, do you, I mean, you've done so much, like, British work, do you want to, I know you did Outlander, but do you want to do any more american-based like do you is is this is something i ask everyone that i've interviewed like you know do they is America scene or like la that kind of hollywood is that scene is like i've made it in acting
0: i, I spent i wouldn't say a lot of time but i spent a, a fair amount of time in 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 la and um it's for me like, i'm a new york girl like through and through like i love new york la I think is great, but it's not. I couldn't live there, I don't think. Um, I think I would maybe lose my marbles a bit. Um, <laughs> but like, America definitely, it really excites me. I think especially the TV and you know, what's coming out of America right now is incredible. Um, and I I definitely would love to, um, you know, once this pandemic's over, kind of get back out to America and that you kind of just... Have to, what's great about America is that you kind of just audition for everything. They're so good at seeing... Um, mm. People like it's not like in in England but quite, they're quite they quite limited to who they see for auditions. Whereas America, it's far more like they see a lot more girls for roles. Oh. So, um, and I and I love it. And, and and you're I actually find that American casting directors are so kind and so open and really like fight for you um, as an actor. So no, God, absolutely, I would love to come back, come back to America and and work out there.
1: That's really cool. I never would have thought that. We are the ones that give more yeah. <laughs> give, <Yeah. laughs> give people more auditions. Yeah. That is do you have like a show that you'd really want to work on that's on right now, or:
0: I can't be on Modern Family because it's finished. That's but, my spot. Yes. I love modern family. watch um, well, I mayor of Town, I just finished watching.
1: Mm, I haven't started school. that one. I do need to watch but, it though.
0: She's just so great in it. Um, I would love to be on the second series of The Flight Attendant. I don't know if you saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, Hayley Kuko, I can't pronounce her name. Yes. The um, oh my goodness, that was amazing. Um, so, the two things I've watched recently in both of them, I actually auditioned for Mary of East Town to and her daughter. Um, so, it's quite funny when you watch stuff that, yeah, that you audition for. Um, but they're two things that I was like, my God, they're so incredible. Um,
1: they're, Can you... And if they do
0: The Office again, because I love John Krasinski with my whole entire heart, <laughs>
1: my whole heart. Do you um? Do you, This is something I've always wondered. Do you watch things that you've been in? Because I think about shows that like I really love, or things that like have had such an impact, like the the Gilmore Girls show. You know, like yeah. that is such a show that's like lasted over time. And I think it sucks, or like Harry Potter, like that is so impactful, and people love them so much. And I'm like. The actors that were in it don't really get to share the like, you know, like, they don't get to, yeah. so do you watch the things that you have been in? No.
0: The one thing was when I was at an Outlander convention and I said, it was quite a big one, and they do these big Q&As, and I said I didn't watch the show, and I was like, oh my god, they're all going to kill me. Like, they literally were like, you don't watch the show? And it's like, no, I hate watch. I can't think of anything worse than sitting down and watching myself. Like... I have to deal with myself 24-7 anyway, like, I don't <laughs> even watch myself at the Did um, you
1: watch, like, maybe the, so the first no,
0: season? <laughs> no, none of it, I, I just, and my work in general, like, I I can't watch it if I have to watch it for, like, you know, for work purposes, like, if you have to go to, like, a screening or, or something, but I I, I I cringe. I think most actors do. I cringe and I criticize everything that I do. Um, yeah, so in fact, there's lots of stuff, actually, that I I've, done.
1: I've, I've, I've heard, heard that. that I've, I've heard yeah. that though like I've heard that actors don't which like I, I get but it's also sad because like there's like these incredible works and projects and stuff that like you know the masses have loved and like enjoyed you know and it's like it's just it's so impactful on everyone and it's like something you can just like binge but it just but like you don't get to have that same I mean granted you were in it so it's you know, it's incredible. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't get to, like, have that, like... Exactly. Yeah. Analysis. Yeah it's, so
0: yeah. it's so true.
1: I don't know. That kind of... Oh, that's so sad. But, and, I mean, it's great because you get to work in it, but still so sad. Um, so, the last question that I ask all my guests is, how do you define being a woman or womanhood?
0: Um, how do I define being a woman? I think going forward, because I think I felt like a girl for a very long time, and I've only just sort of reached womanhood, I want to say that being a woman is uh, having freedom in all Mm. aspects of your life, and being able to do what you want, and say what you want, and make change in the world, and make the world a better place, um, and kind of doing it, um, yeah, and and living your life as you you want to live your life, and not kind of being beheld to anybody else. That's what, that's the way I deal with it, anyway. <laughs> Essentially, that's me trying to say, live your best life. Um, but, yeah.
1: yeah. Which I support. Yeah. I really support yeah. that. Yeah, live your
0: best life. It's <laughs> you, you, it's your life. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It literally is your life. You only get one of them as far as we know. Like, be that main character that I keep seeing on TikTok. Yes, the like, main character. you to be main character in your own life. So, yeah.
1: Um, Rosie, this has been such a treat and a joy. Um so this lovely. So great. Uh do you have anything that you wanna promote, give a shout out to?
0: No, I mean the book is out uh, October fourteenth. I think it's available in the UK and the US. Um, yeah, that's that's when it's out guys. So if <laughs> you wanna buy it for your teenage daughters or yourself, go go for it. Um yeah. This is like my first promotion kind of so, probably should get better.
1: I should get a better time lunch I like. It's fine. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Um, and
0: all other good book websites. <laughs> good
1: book websites. <laughs> good book websites. Uh, Rosie, this has been so fun and such a good time. Thank you so, so much. Um, Everybody, thank you so, so much for listening. Um, I'm going to link uh, Rosie's social media things in the show notes. Um, and if y'all would like to connect with the show, which please, please do, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PrettyFaceLady3. If you'd like to say hi, um, want to come on the show, know someone who can come on the show, please email me at Women at mtipfpodcast.com. And talk to you soon.